Vido, the Vaccine and Infectious Disease Organization based in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, has started clinical trials on the vaccine that it has in development. Vido has actually a 45-year history of vaccine development and commercialization, so it's it's not a new game, but trying to deal with this pandemic has uh, been a new game. So the CEO, Volker Gertz, Dr. Volker Gertz, is with us again. We last talked to you in November, just uh, as you were starting this. So give us an update. When you're in clinical trials for a month, what does that mean? What do you know? Yeah, so very exciting indeed. We are (laughs) in phase one clinical trials right now. So we already uh, completed the first group of our volunteers. So they have received their first immunization and um, they're now getting their second immunization. Um, So far, we have not heard of any um, significant reactions to the vaccine, which is very encouraging, but it's very early in the trial. And so at this point, it's really hard to, to, you know, make any conclusive statements. And how do you pick people? You've got to say, we we don't want you to have any other pre-existing conditions. We're trying to look for something like a control group. Is this a pretty tough process? Yeah, so, so far it hasn't been. Um, the site that we're doing the work at the Canadian Centre for Vaccinology in Halifax is actually very good in, in having a, um, you know, a base of volunteers that uh, has expressed an interest to be part of these studies. So, so far we haven't had any uh, challenges. Um, mm-hmm. That might change now. One of the uh, exclusion criteria for us is actually to not be vaccinated for against uh, COVID. And so with the vaccine rollout, it's becoming a bit more challenging now to find individuals who are at a certain age group, in particular, um, the, the older individuals that are, um, of course, want to get vaccinated. And so this is something that we now need to address as we move forward. What does being vaccinated actually mean? So it means um, that we are introducing um, material to your immune system, the vaccine in this case, which kind of is part of the the virus. And so now your immune system recognizes this as foreign and starts making an immune response to that material. And so when you then come in contact with the the actual virus later on, um, your immune system recognizes it and is much more effective in, in quickly mounting a second immune response, which typically is much stronger, and that's why you're protected. So you're using, there's kind of old school and new school. I know there's more technical terms for that, but you're introducing non-active um, uh, the, the disease. It, it's in its non-active form, the, the uh, virus. Other ones are using sort of more active ones to trigger the cells to respond. Just talk a little bit about those. I know you've done it before, but people are still wondering about this. Right. So, okay. So uh, let's um, step back here a little bit. So for for the virus and for our immune system to recognize the virus and respond to it, um, we focus on the targets that the immune system sees first. And those are the structures on the surface of the virus. And the surface uses these structures to adhere to the cells in our body, and that's how it gets its way into a cell. Now, most vaccines that are currently in development, the Moderna, the Pfizer, the Novavax, the J&J, the AstraZeneca, and the Vita vaccine, all focus on the structure on the surface of the virus, and that's called the spike protein. It's a protein that the virus uses to attach to the cell. And so now the question is, how can we show 
the spike protein to the immune system so it remembers it when it actually comes in contact with the virus. And so there is now different strategies. You can either give, if you want, the, the instruction manual for the, for the body to make itself. So that's the Moderna vaccine. They're using the genetic code. You inject the RNA. Now the cell is making the spike protein. And then it's shown to the immune system and we recognize it as foreign and we make an immune response to it. Or we can use it, make the protein ourselves in the factory, and that's what we're doing. It's called the protein subunit vaccine. So we make the protein and then we inject it and the immune system sees it. Or we have it delivered by another virus. That is what the Oxford vaccine does. So there now you're using a, a viral vector, we call it, a virus that by itself doesn't cause any disease, and it delivers this spike protein of the coronavirus for us. But the principle is the same. We, we show the spike protein to our immune system and the immune system says, okay, well, now I recognize this as foreign. It makes an immune response to it that then protects us from the, from the infection with the virus. So there's still in some communities, and, and I think it's, you know, it's across the country in different areas, there's still some vaccine reluctance. People saying we're too early on in this process. This is all experimental. We don't know what's going to happen in six months. What do you say to people who are a little reluctant at this stage? So I, I mean, I'm a vaccine researcher and I say, go and get vaccinated. Um, <laughs> you know, I understand that people are re reluctant and, um, you know, hesitant maybe um, because yeah. they want to see more safety um, information. And I think uh, that's going back to, you know, so far the fastest we have made a vaccine was within four years. Now we have vaccines that are available essentially after a year and people are saying, well, you know, have they really looked at all these aspects? Has it been done in a proper way? Do I have to be concerned about the safety of them? And so, you know, the, the answer there is um, it's, it's phenomenal what has happened this year in terms of research, but it's also been because a lot of money has gone into this. And so many of these trials were done in parallel rather than, you know, sequentially. Right. And so, yes, maybe we wasted some money, but it also allowed us to be very, very fast in moving forward. Not, not only us, but, you know, everyone around the world. And that's why we're seeing already the first candidates out there after a year. Um, everything, Everything that is going into these vaccines in terms of safety assessment is what you would normally see with any other product. I don't want to be kind of crude about it, but vaccine big companies and, and an organization like yours doesn't want to put something on the market that it's not feeling confident about because the lawsuits would be endless. Yeah, I mean... For Vito specifically, that's why we are here, right? I mean, we're a research yeah. organization and we have made it our mandate to protect um, both humans and animals uh, from infectious diseases. And so, that, I mean, that's why we're here. And of course, we want to come up with the best product we can. Um, yeah. The goal is really to protect people from this disease. And that's why we're working so hard on so when we say we are vaccinated because we're listening to the CDC and our own uh, health officials talk about what happens after you're vaccinated, you for, for that kind of vaccine where you need the second shot, you're supposed to wait, you're still supposed to wear a mask, you shouldn't be with other people that aren't vaccinated, maybe you can be with one people, one family that's like this stuff, it has been the problem from the beginning, which is masks, no masks, all that kind of stuff. What happens when you're vaccinated? 
for the first time in a one-two punch? And what happens when you're vaccinated in a one-shot wonder? So the first time what happens is the immune system now sees this foreign material and it starts to make an immune response to that material, this spike protein in this case. And so usually that takes about a week or two before the immune system really starts making effective responsive. And, and so, you know, after the first immunization, we think that you're not fully protected yet because it takes some time for the immune system to start developing that response. The longer you wait or the longer it goes from that first immunization, your immune response is getting higher and higher. And so then the question is, for many of these vaccines, a second immunization will show the spike protein again to the immune system. And now the immune system recognizes and says, we really need to make an immune response to this. And it puts more effort, more energy into it, and the, and the immune response gets much stronger. And that's why for most vaccines, except for the J&J, &J, the Johnson & Johnson at the moment, we, it's recommended to have two immunizations so that you really get to the level where you have a good immune response that, that protects you from this. And that's, that's um, you know, all the data that's coming out, it's indicating that typically after two immunizations, the responses are much better. So you're, you're protected in the sense of you're, even if you did for some reason catch COVID again, or catch it for the first time, and you might, you would have um, a much, it would impact you in, in a much uh, lesser way. That's right. So it's really just a matter of how many weapons have we produced, right? So the immune system has these, these tools, it's called antibodies and T cells, specialized immune cells. They're almost like weapons. And the more we have mobilized, the more soldiers with weapons we have, the more effectively we can respond. And so after the first immunization, the immune system puts some effort into it, makes a few and so on, we're ready. But then really after the second one, it, it recognizes now, wow, this is a problem. We really need to put a lot of effort into this. And so we're making more B cells, more T cells, more antibodies and so on. So the Johnson & Johnson is still gonna work even though it's one shot. You're, it's, it's gonna create that response in your body. That's right. That's right. And, and that's what they demonstrated. And that's like when you claim that you have a single immunization, a single shot vaccine, you have to demonstrate that you're getting good titers, we call it. So high levels of these antibodies, um, strong immune response. And that's what they did. So when we talk about the AstraZeneca, for example, and they say, oh, you, you know, nobody over 65 should try that when it's only uh, available for younger people. That just means they haven't tested it. Is that right? That's right. Like, and so yeah. and that's also a thing that unfortunately is, is confusing to people. Yeah. You know, different countries have different clinical trial designs and, and different studies. And so, you know, in a clinical trial, you can't answer all these questions at the same time. So um, they initially started with certain age group only, and then based on those trials, they could not conclude that it also works as effectively in, in older individuals and so on. However, Europe, as you know, is now changing that. And so there is the recommendation to use this vaccine even in um, age group 65 and older. I mean, I'm sure when we see what's happening in Israel, what they've got 98% of their population vaccinated. I mean, now we've got test results in the real world, not just yes. in trials. Yes. So you think that will change relatively in a, in a relatively short time? Yeah, Europe has already adjusted their yeah. recommendations and so will the rest of the world. And yeah. Um, yeah. 
I think the one thing that that still stands out, and we've we've talked about it on the podcast, and so is everybody else, that if we if we'd only had our own manufacturing capacity in this country, um, we wouldn't have been caught with whether or not Pfizer was going to send us some or a whole lot or none or whether there were delays. We have just become too dependent on the outside world to supply us with these as uh, when a pandemic breaks out. Yeah, so in many ways, that's true. But, you know, I think Canada is not the only country in the world. There's, of course, other countries that have found themselves in the same situation. I mean, that is part of the globalization, right? So you have Mm -hmm. these huge global companies. I mean, Pfizer, I don't know how many employees they have, maybe 100,000. You know, they have the um, resources and the infrastructure available to quickly respond and, and the same is true for some of the other companies. Um, Canada, I think, needs in the long term domestic manufacturing capacity. We cannot find ourselves again in this situation. Um, but it really what it what it helps us is also taking innovation from you know, the, the early university stage kind of research into commercial development. And that's a big gap that you know, Canada is really not equipped, equipped to fill anymore. Um, we have now relied on the big vaccine companies to make these vaccines for us. And so what, we, what we're missing out at is, you know, Canadian domestic manufacturing, Canadian um, innovation, taking early promising discovery research into clinical trials. So this is what we have been talking with you about and what you are attempting to do at Vito. You you want to do the research, the development, the testing, produce the stuff and manufacture the stuff, not just for this pandemic, but for the next unknown disease that comes along, whether it be in humans or or in animals or or, our food sources. We've got to think about that as well. That's right. And so we call it uh, Canada's Center for Pandemic Research. Our vision is really for Vito to help the country to be better prepared for the next emerging disease, whether that's a human disease or a disease that affects our livestock. And, um, you know, there is as many emerging diseases um, affecting the livestock industries as there is Mm -hmm. for humans. And the impact sometimes is as as impactful as we've seen now with the with the COVID-19. It can be very, very devastating and can be the end of the livelihood of our farmers or even you know their their whole herds sometimes have to be put down because there's a new disease coming so the industry is really at high um at high risk of these emerging diseases and so what what our vision is really for Vito as in center in canada canada center for pandemic research to have that expertise to specifically respond to emerging diseases and um, in our mind, there's three key elements that you need for this. So you need to A, have a safe way of working with these pathogens. And so you have to have a, what we call a high containment facility. And, and Vito already operates Canada's largest high containment facility. Then the next thing is you have to have in-house GMP manufacturing, as we just discussed. And that is really allowing to rapidly respond. If we look around the world, all the institutes in the world, whether it's the Jenna Institute at the Oxford University or the NIH in the US that is linked with the Moderna, all Mm -hmm. the ones that um, have access to in-house GMP manufacturing, high control. And that stands for good manufacturing practice. So that's the highest, the the cleanest material you can imagine for, for injection into humans. All those facilities around the world that have 
in-house access to it. We're the ones that were able to respond the fastest. And so that's really what we say is, or what we think is critical for Canada to have these rapid response centers that can immediately start working on any disease, immediately uh, start making a vaccine candidate in the in-house manufacturing facility. And the third component to this is the ability to work with a wide range of animals. So, you know, these new emerging diseases all come from from animals that you know, mm -hmm. normally don't have routinely um, in Canada. And so they jump the species barrier, they jump into humans. So bats, for example, many viruses jump right. from bats into humans. And so we need to have a facility to, where we can work with these animals and, and have immediate access to them so that we don't need so to bring them in and all those things. That's the third part that's missing, which is that's Why right. So a high containment to laboratory to help you, yeah. That's right. A high containment laboratory, an in-house and GMP manufacturing facility, and then the third component is the ability to work all year round with these animals, have all year round access to these animals, and so that's what in it, what is in our proposal right now to build a new animal facility that will allow us to do that. So you've got two out of three of these things to create a Canadian center. Uh, of vaccine development. Uh, is it anybody else even close to you in the country? Are there any other like facilities? Oh, yeah, there is uh, centers in Canada that also have expertise in this area and a similar vision. So you may have seen our press release that we had last year with McMaster, for example. Mm -hmm. um, so the Global Nexus initiative at McMaster is very similar in scope and in, in vision and in idea and what we want to do here. Their focus is more on drug development and ours is more on vaccines, although you know, they also do some vaccine work and some really good vaccine work, actually. So there's a lot of um, synergy and, and complement um, between the two facilities. Um, also, the National Microbiology Lab in Winnipeg, uh, currently Canada's only facility to do this kind of research with level four diseases, um, part of the public health agency. They have a lot of expertise and also the infrastructure to quickly respond. And, and we've been working with them since really day one in this COVID pandemic and been working with them very closely. And then there's a few other places, um, you know, across the country in Alberta, BC, and even in Quebec yeah. that, that have the ability to rapidly respond. But it's but you're, key that you're, if we, sorry. No, you're kind of there. I mean, you're just, you're a step away. If, if, if you've got funding from the province, you've got funding even from the city of Saskatoon, of course, you're associated with university. You've asked for this funding from the federal government. We're all waiting for a budget. I guess that's what you're hoping they'll respond yes. with. Yes. And then you could go on to that third stage. That's right. And so then with that, really, we are set to, to become exactly that, help the country to be better prepared for the next, um, but also help, you know, in, in with the variant work, for example, for the COVID-19. I mean, those things, it's not going to go away, right? So we, we like we, while we have our eye out on the next future disease, of course, and need to think about that, we also, you know, need to think about the current one and how it's going to change over the next year with all these vaccines coming out now. And can you really do that? I mean, uh, the Pfizer's and the Moderna's have said, well, we're doing testing as we go along. And so far, we're reacting to the variants. Um, are you confident that, that that can actually happen when they keep popping up in different places around the globe? Yeah, so Moderna just adjusted their antigen um, to the new variants. And so have we, in fact. Um, yeah. But we also now here at Vito, we have them. We, we already have two of the variants, two of the UK variants, 
And we also have two of these South African variants. And so we can now, at least in animals, actually demonstrate that um, our vaccine protects against these variants. And as part of our contract research um, activities can also test other people's vaccines or other companies' vaccines to demonstrate that they work for these variants. So again, this is an important part of the work we do here. So you're uh, a month or so into these trials. What's, what's the timeline? What's next? Yeah, so it's um, all going forward. So there's three age groups that are um, involved in the study. So we're starting with an 18 to 54. That's the, the you know, the first one. And then we go into um, older individuals afterwards. And then there is also what we call a dose escalation. And that's what the regulator wants. Um, so we're starting with the lowest dose at the moment. And then we have to go to a higher dose to demonstrate that it is uh, completely safe, even in very, very high doses. And so that's going to take the next um, weeks, in fact, months um, for this. And as soon as the data allows us to move into then the next phase, the phase two, we can already begin the phase two and still work on the phase one and the older individuals here. So it's kind of like staggered and design. And that's the fastest way to move forward. So when do you think yours might be on the market? So um, we're hoping by end of this year, maybe early next year. Okay, because I read the other day there are something like 60, six zero vaccines in production right now. We talk about the four or five and you, but like everybody's doing this everywhere. Yeah, so I think um, we're seeing the same here in Canada, what we see around the world. I mean, um, while we're relying on these front runners right now, everybody's looking at their domestic manufacturing because in the long term, I think you want to be um, you know, self-sufficient in terms of providing vaccines in the future for COVID-19. Um, there's, of course, also countries that currently don't even have any vaccines. Any at all. So they're looking at um, getting access to some of these um, second uh, phase vaccines. So, um, you know, this is not going to go away and we will We're gonna need, need futures for this and vaccines in the future, probably on an annual boost or something like that. That's what I was just going to say. So whether it's annual or every five years, we might be looking at this one yeah. well into the future. Yeah. Incredible work you're doing, uh, Dr. Gertz. We just so we're so glad that you came here to do it. I know you could have gone to San Diego where the weather is better and no snowstorms in March, but uh, we really appreciate your work and thank you. Thanks, Thanks very again. much. We'll talk soon. Okay. Thank you. So that's it for our podcast, No Nonsense, this time with Dr. Volker Gertz. What a gem this man is. And I know he just works away in that lab. And I really hope he gets uh, the funds to make this happen. We appreciate you listening, finding us. Our podcasts are produced by Paul Boone. And if you have any comments, we'd appreciate hearing them. So would he. Please retweet, like, and subscribe. We'll see you soon.